Hey gang, welcome to Dateline Louisiana, a provocative look at the deepest of the deep southern states. Thoughts that are informative, candid, humorous, and sometimes controversial about life in one of the most interesting and rabble-rousing states in the nation. Here are your hosts, Ronna Gray and Jim Brown. Hey, welcome to our show today. Jim Brown here with Ronna Gray. Ronna, uh, into the finish through the cold weather and uh, getting a little hot uh, in terms of uh, warming back up and also warming back up in politics, isn't it? In Louisiana, it's either 70 degrees or 17 lately, but uh, you're right. The politics are the hotter things more so than the weather. You know, we had that weather uh, blast here recently. I had to learn how to turn the water off, and it was very, very complicated in my office. I had to learn to go out in the street find the water uh, pipes that are in the ground from the city, turn the water off there. Now, that's not enough because there's water in the lines. So the water in the lines will freeze now uh, if you don't clear them out. So that you've got to go in and open all the faucets outside and drain all the lines. It's a big, big deal. when it, uh, They tell me if it gets below about 20 degrees uh, you're okay maybe 2022, 20, but if you get in the teens, you better have all your water drains. So I got a real education in being a plumber uh, from all the water. We had a broken line. Water was everywhere. I'm sitting in my office, and all of a sudden I see the spray going up in the air outside. It looked like Niagara Falls, and it was a water pipe that had busted. And what are you going to do? So finally I learned how to turn the water off. And, of course, you can imagine how long it took to get a plumber uh, with all the conditions we've had here recently. So uh, My neighbor uh, had the same thing. I drove home, and it's flowing, a river flowing down our driveways, and um, he had the same thing happen. And then our producer, Chris, was telling me about some pipes at the LSU Engineering Building. Patrick you, F. Taylor. You would kind of think, thought of these things and took the preventative measures but uh, he had a he had Niagara Falls in the engineering building too. Good guy. So, uh, well, hey, we're going to talk a little bit about reapportionment today. Uh, those of you been following the legislature uh, know that no uh, uh, know, know that the legislature has been meeting dealing with congressional reapportionment, and uh, and so uh, it's a question of. How you do reapportionment, that's always a problem all over the country. Uh, legislatures are charged with the obligation of reapportioning congressional districts, judicial districts, uh, legislative districts. And in Louisiana, we're under a federal court order to reapportion congressional districts. And, and uh, uh, the issue has been brought before the federal court in Baton Rouge, the judge said, we're going to give you a very short time to go ahead and give us a good congressional district reapportionment. And Louisiana, you got six congressmen. We're going to require that two of your congressmen be in majority black districts. That doesn't mean it's going to be a black congressman, but certainly an African-American will have a leg up in competing for being uh, one of the two congressmen. So the legislature has gone to the drawing board, and that's when politics get in. You see, these congressmen want to protect themselves, and I guess self-preservation, that's a natural thing. It really shouldn't be part of the legislature should not be reapportioning congressional districts because they're subject to pressures from congressmen, and they're trying to curry favors, and so they pretty much do what the congressman wants. 
Well, our new governor in Louisiana, for you folks that have not been following the Louisiana scene, has gotten into it. And the new governor is saying we're going to do it this particular way. And the politics get into it, Rana, don't they, because of relationships between the governor and a congressman in the Baton Rouge area called Garrett Graves. Well, this one's taking on a whole different look from anything I've ever seen. Um, It's unbelievable that you have a seemingly popular congressman that the governor's going after to lose and, and could lose his seat there. We also have a relatively new, our one female congressperson um, that they wanted to protect her. Some of the legislators say, well, we have a woman in that district. We, we need to protect her, her seat. That was another area that they considered redrawing. But it looks like what it's coming down to is some of the alliances that were very unusual that emerged in the governor's race that has led the governor to favor the district that gets rid of Congressman Graves, Garrett Graves' safe district. He's had no problem getting reelected there. And uh, he supported another candidate for governor. And so uh, Wagesback, who he'd worked with in the Jindal administration, and Governor Landry seems to not... um, mind him being the seat that gets uh, turned into a a majority-minority district there. The other unusual alliance, I think, is State Senator Cleo Fields, who used to be a congressperson in that district and um, supported Governor Landry. Uh, Maybe not openly, but definitely a lot of African-American leaders either did not support the black Democrat candidate for governor or uh, stayed out of it, or or openly supported Landry. And the rumors are, of course, that uh, former Congressman Fields would like to be future Congressman Fields. And he's chairing the committee that's redrawing the district. So I'm sure he's keeping a close eye on that. Well, just to put it in perspective even more, uh, Garrett Graves is a young up-and-coming congressman. Many people talked about him being governor one day. And uh, to show his strength in his current district, uh, he defeated a popular former governor, Edwin Edwards, and very strongly defeated him. So he was unbeatable in the current district. But as you said, politics got into it. Governor Landry said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, Garrett Graves, you didn't support me for Congress rather for uh, governor. And uh, as you said in the race, there's a fellow named Wagenspach uh, who uh, was running way behind. And you, as you said, I think because of personal relationships, Garrett Graves supported Wagenspach. And actually, Landry was a shoe in at that point to get elected. So Landry felt, look, I was going to be governor. You supported my opponent. To heck with you. I'm going to cut you out of being a congressman. So it's very vicious, very vicious. And then enter Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. And he's got an interest in it. And his interest seems to be don't redraw the districts. We don't want a second minority district. Run the gauntlet on this and take it to court. And he's opposing it also, although he's an ally of Governor Landry's. He has split with him on on this issue. Well, he has. And uh, a lot of the new district they're trying to carve out comes out of uh, of Mike Johnson's district up in the Caddo area. In fact, uh, the new district would run right at the Shreveport line and then weave itself down through Natchitoches all the way down below Baton Rouge. It's just a horrible district. You know, 
people need to have uh, uh, a a uh, a comedy, a, a relationship in the district where they are. You know, if you're uh, from South Louisiana, you basically want to have a Cajun district, and maybe it's not just on people, but it involves roads and and drainage and levees and all those kinds of things that you want your congressman to fight you for. Well, the way this mishmash is put together by the legislature, I mean, a congressman's the uh, congressman is like a statewide official. He he has to represent people from the north to the south and uh, across lines and splitting up all areas. Uh, in uh, uh, it looks like the only really tight area, as you said, Julia Lutlow. Uh, who's the widow of Luke Lutlow, who was uh, very active in the uh, uh, Jindal administration. And uh, he was the congressman. He got elected. And then his wife, when he uh, he died, unfortunately, and his wife then was elected strongly to take over that district. Her district is northeast Louisiana, where I'm from. I know that area well. I've run through all that area. So they're trying to make it very safe for her. They want to cut out Garrett Graves, and if you look at a map, it's just terrible how it weaves and uh, to get in uh, certain precincts in this parish that are black or certain precincts that are white to satisfy protecting the congressman, but uh, still meeting the court uh, dictates to see that we have two black congressmen. Well, what's so interesting about it is that these districts have been gerrymandered in the past to dilute black voting power. I mean, I live in Baton Rouge, and I'm in Congressman Troy Carter's district out of New Orleans. Out of New Orleans. That's, that's and, ridiculous. And because they wanted to work their way up the river and and skirt the areas where there were larger African-American voting populations. So, you know, and, and put them all in one district so that, oh, yes, we have a black district, but we're going to scoop up as many black voters as we can and put them in there. Now they're having to gerrymander the opposite way. They're having to re-gerrymander in order to, to develop another black district. So, uh, And I agree with you. Whatever they did, I think they ought to make a good faith effort to keep the, 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 the areas contiguous, keep the various parishes close at hand, don't cut all this up, and then, throw it, and then say, okay, courts, if you want to throw it out, uh, we're going to we're going to force you to do so. We don't think you should. We'll fight it all the way to the Supreme Court. That will take a long, long time. And I think that uh, Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, the speaker up in Washington, who, again, is affected. You need, he's second line to be president. But if his district gets cut up bad enough, then, you know, he's fighting for his life back in little old Louisiana in the most rural part of the state. So uh, he has to keep an eye out for what's happening there, keep his thumb right on the pulse of it all. But the way it is, the way it looks now, it's going to be a sure thing. And uh, I think it's wrong. I'm sure there will be some court challenges for various reasons on this district, too. But I think if the governor gets his way, you're going to see Garrett Graves, who's in a fight for his life, try to salvage something out of the whole area and probably look for some reason to go to court. So we'll be watching this for some time to come. Well, he had a, a what he was calling a bipartisan meeting down at the Capitol. The governor called together, uh, you know, a very uh, mixed group of prominent black leaders, elected officials and the, the Landry Coalition, and you have to give him some credit for pulling people together that you've never seen at the table together before. 
I'm with you. I think he will ultimately get what he wants out of this legislature. Now, we also have the Supreme Court justices where there is an effort to put a second uh, or a district that would, would be very agreeable for a second African-American lawyer to end up being on the Supreme Court. And, and also to expand the court. That's right, to put another member on the court, very much so. There's no prohibition in the Constitution as to what the number, or there's no requirement as to what the number should be for a judge on the Supreme Court, a justice on the Supreme Court in Louisiana. That district is even worse, my gosh. Uh, there's a, a, a judicial district for uh, the current judge, uh, Judge Creighton, who I know, a good fella, and uh, the judge it can't run again, so his district, they think, is ripe to cut out. And that judicial district goes from Shreveport all the way down below Baton Rouge. I mean, it's a four-hour drive to go drive across the district, and they're making someone uh, uh, look out for a judge spreading all. That's just, that's, it's, it's even worse than the congressional district, right. much worse than the congressional district. And, and then here's what happens. When you get a big district like that, Rana, then it's money, money, money. You can't get out and, and shake hands with voters and tell them what you have in mind and go to the Rotary Clubs and that kind of thing. The district is just too big. So what you do is you you beg and sell your soul for dollars and, and raise money where you can, and then that makes it very appealing for interest groups to come in and say, okay, now we're going to shake up and we're either going to oppose the trial lawyers or we're going to oppose this group, oppose the Chamber of Commerce. And so the election is decided by big moneyed interest. Much of it will come in from out of state in these judicial districts as well as the congressional districts. I'll tell you what, I would predict that probably 75% of all the money that is raised by all these members of Congress will come from outside of Louisiana. So we got people in New York and California uh, all over the country deciding who's going to represent you and me and the majority of listeners on this show here. And it's the same with the judicial districts. So you're going to see huge sums of money come in uh, in these judicial districts. And again, it's outside interests who are going to decide the, the judiciary that concer it concerns so many important issues for Louisiana. I think it's wrong. I think it stinks. But that's just the way it is. How do you think it works in the states where they have these bipartisan committees that handle uh, redistricting each time? Do you well, think they do it's that better? in California and several other states where there's a bipartisan committee that is made up. It's not just appointed by the governor. The governor gets a couple of appointments, but you get the state bar association that has appointees and you have some good government groups all putting together maybe a, a 12, 14, 15 member committee, and they have a staff and they work up what they think is a more fair re reapportionment. And I think that's a great idea because it takes it out of the hands of, of the of the vested interests who want to see it done to support not what's good for the state, but who their favored candidate is, who they want to protect. That's how it is right now. And I think that uh, you see this, I believe, in Wisconsin, Minnesota, California. There's a, a number of states that are going to what you said would be a, a, a uh, nonpartisan, uh, it's not it's Democrats, Republicans all get together to draw up what they think is a fair district. 
I think that would be much better if we had something that in Louisiana. I think it would make real good sense, and we'd see a much better return on the district for the people, and uh, the politics wouldn't be as heavy as it is right now. Now, in terms of expanding the court, that would require a constitutional amendment. So let's assume Governor Landry wants to do that. He controls the legislature. They put it on the ballot. They are talking about trying to put it on a ballot like when Trump is on a ballot so they can get turnout. You think the people care? You think the people of Louisiana are just like sitting on pins and needles for him to expand the state Supreme Court? I don't think they care one bit. (laughs) You you would see, depending on the time the election is, maybe if Trump's on the ballot, you'd see a bigger turnout. But uh, if Trump's not on the ballot and and there is a constitutional amendment consideration, you might have 15 percent of the voters even turn out, which means of those. Let me tell you what I mean. Let's assume that 20 percent would turn out, 20 percent. Well, only half of those who are could register have even registered. That means 10 percent. Then so it means 6 percent of the voters could determine the future of who's on the court, uh, who's in Congress. And these are people that really control so much of what we do in our lives. Uh, you know, from the time you're born on the state level all the way up to the time you die, uh, issues like abortion, issues like uh, taxation, uh, so many important issues are decided by just a handful of people because invariably the politicians, now maybe in the case of Landry, might want it under Trump, but actually p- people generally uh, want it when there's no nothing else on the ballot, maybe a few local school board elections and, and some local elections, because the, low, the turnout is so low, and then you can push your people to the, to the polls. Uh, invariably, constitutional amendments, Pat, and 90% of the constitutional amendments in the last 20 years, a pass. And so uh, uh, that's better politics for the governor. He wants to get an amendment passed to do it at an off time. Uh, that's what happens. I think, again, that's wrong. There ought to be one election date a year. That's it. And, Ronnie, you and I know about this because uh, I was the secretary of state. You were the first assistant secretary of state. And we ran this whole election process. And we know that uh, all this proliferation of elections gets low turnout, and we just don't get the response that I think is best for democracy and certainly best for Louisiana. True. they got a lot to do. Next time our listeners tune in, we'll have the results of all this. They've got eight an eight-day session to uh, redistrict, create a minority district that even the ruling party, the Republican Party, split on on how to do that. Uh, reconstitute the Louisiana Supreme Court, uh, redraw some districts there. They got a tall order. Well, they do. And uh, I think the because the governor is pushing it, he's a new governor, he's a popular governor, uh, getting off to a good start, you're going to see that he's going to get his way. Then it goes to the courts. Then it goes to the courts. And so, uh, and so uh, then we'll have a, a, a court response that, uh, hopefully will take place quickly, but you just don't know. We'll have a chance to talk a lot more. Hey, that's our show for the day. Sure glad you joined us. Uh, we've got producer Chris, who's producing the show here with, with us today. Ronna Gray and I here. Ronna, you have a great week. We'll be back next week to talk to more some more lively issues here on Dateline Louisiana. Thanks for listening to Dateline Louisiana with Jim Brown and Ronna Gray. 
to subscribe to this podcast or contact Gemma Rana, visit DatelineLouisiana.com. We hope you'll join us again next week for more news and reflections from the Bayou State.